Amen. Praise the Lord. Louis, go out for a throw right here. <laughs> I think David should preach today. He's on fire. All right, praise the Lord. All right, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll go right into it today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read from the ESV. Praise the Lord. Good to see everybody today. All right, let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I'm going to read just verse 13. It says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now, most uh, preachers, when they preach from this passage, the pericope that they use, the passage context that they will use, it often will end at verse 12. Because what's before verse 12? It's the Beatitudes. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, It's the Beatitudes. But today, I want to extend that pericope. That's just a, sorry, fancy word for context, right? I want to extend that passage context to include verse 13 as well. Okay? Because what I see here Jesus doing is he's using an effective technique of rhetoric. It's a powerful uh, communication device he's using right here. Let me point it out for you. If you go back to verse 3, where Jesus begins his sermon on the mount... With the Beatitudes, he begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Wait a minute. Did somebody just pick up what happened just there? Okay. Jesus is saying, blessed are they. Blessed are they. For theirs is kingdom. Blessed are they. They, they, they. And verse 11, there's a shift that happens. Somebody say shift. Shift. Jesus goes from talking about they to talking about you. Blessed are they, and they shifts to blessed are you. People are going, oh, wow. At the beginning, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mountain, they're thinking, wow, this is how I should strive to be like. Mm, that's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jesus, tell me more. Yeah, that's real good. And w- 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 wait a minute, did you just say you? Are you talking about me? And Jesus, Jesus makes the shift from blessed are they to blessed are you. 
You see, Jesus is employing a powerful rhetoric here. He starts with the pronoun them to paint a vivid picture of the kingdom. A vivid, a vivid picture of sonship. Of what his people should look like. And then after he paints this vivid picture, he turns it around and says, by the way, that's you. You see, if he started with that's you, you would have been very uncomfortable from the very beginning. And you would begin to block it and say, ah, uh, no, that's not me. Uh, that's definitely not me. Uh, I think I'm the, I'm the opposite of that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, have you ever seen my road rage, Jesus? Yeah, and you would have blocked it from the very beginning. But, that, but Jesus starts with they. And in the middle, he shifts it and says, it's you. Now, the Apostle Paul did the same, he used the same rhetoric. You see, people of that time, they were, they were powerful rhetoricians, rhetoricians, rhetoricians. They were powerful communicators. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul did the same in chapter 1 of Romans. If you, ever, you probably never noticed this. If you want to turn to, turn to chapter 1 of Romans. While you're turning that, I'm going to start reading it. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts. For though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And up until this point, everybody's saying, Amen, yeah, yeah, those wicked people, yeah, yeah. Pastor Paul, yeah, tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. They, they, they. And it begins, verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse. Everybody say, oh. Oh. Here Paul describes all these wicked sinners and all these depraved ways of mankind. And then he turns around and in chapter 2 it says, Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who judges, when you pass judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. It's a powerful communication tool. Now, Jesus uses this rhetorical setup really to redefine how we see ourselves. In other words, Jesus... He speaks into our identity. Although you may not be experiencing some of these things that he's describing here in the Beatitudes. And you may not see any evidence of it in your life. God calls things that are not as though they were. Jesus, you see, he's not interested in simply describing where you're at and then describing where you should be. Jesus is all about. Speaking life over your identity. He's about calling you where he knows you really are. He's all about speaking in such a way that your true identity rises up out of you. Out of all the trauma, out of all the hurt, out of all the deception. He calls out the true you that's in you. It's just the way God works. He did this with Abram in Genesis. 
He came up to this gentleman named Abram and he renamed him Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 5, which means father of a multitude. Now, you have to understand when he did this, he did it several chapters before Abraham actually had his son, Isaac. God calls things that are not as though they were. He comes up to Gideon while he's threshing wheat in the wine press and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Before Gideon ever fought a single battle. See, God calls things that are not as though they were. And Jesus is saying here, blessed are the meek for theirs, for theirs, for they, for they. And it says, by the way, that's you. So if you really get that, you go back and you start reading it. Not with they, but with you. You are meek. You are merciful. You are pure in heart. You will see God. You are a peacemaker. You may get persecuted for righteousness sake, but you rejoice and be glad. For you are blessed. Jesus doesn't give the beatitudes so we can be like, oh, it's so good for people like that. They're blessed. Lucky them. Oh, they're so blessed. No, Jesus is like, no, this is you. I'm, talk, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. Turn to your neighbor. I'm talking about you. And Jesus goes on. And in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is done with the language. Because if you read the entire rest of the Sermon on the Mount, with the exception of the last two paragraphs, it's all about you. You know how it's popular in Christianity to say, it's not about you. It's not about you. Well, here is a sermon, chapter after chapter after chapter, and it's all about you. Jesus is speaking life. And today I want to focus on verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt, we don't get too excited about salt today. Right? Because salt, you know, you, you can get it for free at any restaurant. You go to a salangtang jib and there's like the thing of salt and you can put as much as you want. A lot of people, they avoid salt because of high blood pressure. You know, salt, what's the big deal with salt? You know? Now, back in the ancient times, salt was very valuable because salt has a lot of different uses, even today. But back then, especially, because, you know, here's a little revelation for you. They didn't have refrigerators back then. Did you ever think about that? So if you if you kill the fattened cattle, you better eat that thing quick. You know, you're like, oh, mom, I'm full. No, you better eat your cattle. <laughs> Expiration date is in the morning. <laughs> and we're going to get our money's worth. So back then, man, salt as a preservative was very valuable. In fact, Roman soldiers back in the day, they were partly paid in salt. The word salary comes from salarium, 
for all the preacher, preaching class students, all right, do your homework, right? Look at your commentaries. Okay. Now, salt has different um, properties, has different ways and uses. Salt prever- preserves. Uh, if you want to keep certain fruits or vegetables or meats longer, you know, we have beef jerky, right? We dry out that meat. We use salt to help preserve it. Uh, salt is a powerful preservative. Salt also, today, we use it mostly as a flavoring agent. Right? If you ever go to a good steakhouse right, in New York City, when I used to live in New York City, all right, if you went to a good steakhouse, this is the sure way that they can identi- you can expose yourself as being ghetto or being like uncultured. You go to a good steakhouse... And you ask for A1 sauce. Okay. Most expensive New York steakhouses, right? The waiter will look at you and be like, excuse me, sir. Did you just, what? Okay. You don't use A1 steak sauce, whatever like that, at a good steakhouse. At a good steakhouse, the chef knows how to prepare that steak. All you need is a little salt and pepper. And you got to have the right amount of salt. But without that salt, man, your steak, it don't taste as tasty. I mean, salt goes into everything. Salt gives flavor. Another thing about salt that's interesting is Jewish rabbis used to use salt as a symbol for wisdom. So they, to, to lose your saltiness literally meant to become foolish. Let me ask you, are you a salty Christian? You don't want to be an unsalty Christian. Saltless Christian. Now, uh, one Bible commentary, the new Bible commentary, they kind of commented like this. To be salt is, as, as Christians, to be salt is to be distinctive, yet fully involved. To be distinctive yet fully involved. So I'm going to just kind of break down these two concepts, right? What does it mean to be distinctive? Well, first of all, to be distinctive simply means it's begging to ask, are you salty? Because if I have white little things, white little pebbles, rocks, whatever, white little crystals, I have one set of crystals and I have another And if the first set is salty, but the other one, it just tastes like nothing. What am I going to do with that other one? If I buy a bag of salt and I taste it and it has no flavor whatsoever, I'm going to think I I bought, I got, I got ripped off or I I, I misread the Korean label, you know? Oh no, it's MSG. Oh no, it's not salt. Oh, even better. MSG. Hmm. <laughs> um, you would think, what a useless bag of salt. It's not even salty. Let me, take, let me ask a question. If someone takes a, a taste of you, are you salty? As a Christian, can people tell a distinction between you and all the other non-believing friends at your school, at your workplace. Are you distinct? Are you set apart? Are you different? Or are you just going with the crowd? 
just like everybody else. You're like Jesus' agent, his super secret agent. So undercover that nobody ever finds out you're a Christian. I'm telling you right now, man. Or, or there's a lot of Christians, they make a lot of compromises. You know, I'm all for, you know what, I'm, I'm all okay with, especially, uh, this goes especially to the mature leaders in my house. I'm okay with the mature leaders of this house having some alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk later. Uh, because the you know the simple answer you know you some pastors give is just don't drink it's dangerous you know you, you can end up in debauchery and things like that just just don't drink drinking is you know drinking sin you know and they, and they say things like that or they imply things like that i don't imply that because you know drinking isn't sin you won't find that in the bible right uh, debauchery is sin. You get drunk, you do all kinds of stupid things. You, you know, it's all, that's sin. But drinking is not sin. Having a beer, you really like that beer? Drink it. Yeah. <laughs> you go to a nice restaurant, you want a little wine? Have, have a couple glasses. Have a whole bottle. <laughs> but we taking a cab home though. You know, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right with, you know, especially mature believers, you know, exercising that self-control uh, and that freedom to, to drink a little bit. But, you know, like a lot of Christians, uh, they get so either uptight that they just avoid that altogether. So the, the jury's out about hueshiks. Hueshiks are after work hour Social gatherings at most Korean companies. Right? Good thing Hagwans don't really have that culture, but most, even Hagwans have that? Okay. No, okay, all right. Now, advert, the jury's out about this because Hueshik's, I was reading a statistic yesterday uh, about like 70 or 80% of Korean women say that they were sexually harassed uh, in their lifetime. Right? And out of that, uh, percentage that were sexually harassed, the majority of them, like 40 or 50 percent of them, got harassed, sexually harassed at a hueshik. Okay, so if that's what's happening at the hueshiks, I don't want the sisters of this house going to those hueshiks, right? I mean, why should you deal with that? Unless, unless like you can be real, real firm and real assertive, right? And even then, I mean, you, you, some some guys just when they get drunk, they they don't get the point. So I, I don't want you there, right? But in another sense, some people, they avoid Hueshik simply because people are drinking there. And they give off this impression of this holier than thou. And they uh, come to our Hueshik, come join us for Hueshik. And then you go, oh, okay, where are we going? We want to uh, eat some Tangyapsar. Okay, let's go eat some Tangyapsar. Wait, wait a minute. Will there be drinking at this Hueshik? And they go, oh, well, you know, we're going to order maybe a little bit of soju. No, I can't. I'm a Christian. I don't do those kinds of things. I don't go to those kinds of places. Right? And by doing that, you end up coming off with a self-righteousness that kind of kills your witness. Because, you know, by the way, Jesus didn't do that. 
the Pharisees were accusing him and being like, you're, you're a drunkard. All you like to do is hang around with prostitutes and tax collectors. Jesus and his disciples are coming. Jesus, man, you're getting a bad reputation out there. Everybody thinks you're just hanging out with sinners, which you are. (laughs) But look, Jesus, we got to do something about your PR campaign here, all right? If you're supposed to take over as the king, it's not looking good for your reputation. And and Jesus is like, man, let them. Let them think what they want. It doesn't move me from the truth. I know who I am. Hold on, I'm not going to come back to the message here, right? Uh, let me go back to the question. Are you salty? Are you salty? Are you distinct? Do you have a different flavor than the people of the world? Now, Christianity, this is a revelation from Pastor Benjamin's message uh, on January the 8th. He preached a powerful message. And so I chewed on it, digested it. And, and then I went in the kitchen and prepared a meal out of that inspiration. I don't know where that analogy was going. <laughs> and then I threw it up and then I gave it to y'all. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was inspired by that sermon and I kind of chewed on it and I, I'm spitting this back out to y'all. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing, I'm presenting a new meal to you. Now he's, he was saying how Christianity, he's troubled because a lot of Christianity has become too institutionalized. The institution of the church, the programs, the meetings, the ministries has replaced the personal faith of the people. So Christians are losing their saltiness because Christianity has become too institutionalized. For example, instead of producing praying Christians, we just have prayer meetings. Instead of worshiping Christians, Christians just go to worship services. Instead of evangelizing Christians, we tell Christians to just bring their friends to evangelism services. Instead of Bible-loving Christians, we just tell people to go to Bible study. And go to Bible study, and you can feel good about having studied the Bible. When the only person studying the Bible regularly at your church is the preacher, there's something fundamentally wrong there. Now, there ain't nothing wrong with all these things. Obviously, our church has plenty of these things. These things are good. But there is something wrong when these programs and meetings tend to replace our personal faith rather than inspire it. If the only time you pray, everybody check yourself right now. If the only time you pray is at a prayer meeting... And you think you have a healthy prayer life because you attend faithfully. Let me tell you something. You are deceived. If you continue in that deception, you're going to lose your saltiness more and more and more. Because think about it this way. What are you going to do when you move to another town? Or you go on some long business trip and there are no prayer meetings to attend? And because you haven't nurtured your own individual prayer life, when you go over there and there's no prayer meetings to attend, guess what you do? You stop praying. Because the institutional prayer meetings aren't there 
to do the praying for you. You see, it's not about coming to church to pray. It's about coming to church praying. The answer is not to institutionalize our Christianity, but to individualize it. See, we got to stop going to church and stop doing the church. And we have to start, we have to become, we have to start becoming the church, being the church. Everybody say, stop doing the church. Stop going to church. And let's be the church. Come on now. This is what Pastor Benjamin said. He said the institutional activities have taken the place of our individual activities. So we're actually not being Christians. We're simply going to a Christian institution and participating in Christian activity. But at the end of the day, when something goes wrong with that institution, you walk away from the Lord. Now think about that. Are there any stories in your life or around you that that reminds you of? Man, I was having a conversation the other day with our media team leader, Diddy, right? And I was just talking to my, my brother here, and we used to be part of a campus ministry, a college ministry out in New York City, right? And when we were in college, we were college students. When I was on staff and he was a student, we used to go on mission trips to other countries, Thailand, Kazakhstan, China. And we go in there boldly, and we, we share the gospel and get people saved, and then teach English for the rest of the six weeks. <laughs> but still, we did, you know, we did those things. We went out on the campuses of Columbia, Hunter College, you know, NYU, these liberal campuses. And we would share the gospel with bonus. We would pick up guitars and lead worship every single Thursday night. We'd pick up guitars and lead worship every single Friday night. Students will come out to what's called our Gethsemane prayer meeting. We would have prayer meetings. Sometimes they would go from 11 a.m. to 2 a.m. I mean, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. <laughs> Students will come out and they will pray feverishly. But then these same students will graduate from college. And they will backslide. And backslide hard. Now, I don't mind if the students that are backsliding are the ones that always struggle with coming out to, to our college meetings. You know, the ones that we always pray for, reached out to, but only came out once in a while. If those are the ones backsliding, I don't understand. But I do have an issue. I have a little bit of frustration. Why is it the worship leaders are backsliding so hard? Why is it the, the, the regional campus uh, student leaders that are backsliding so hard? Why was Diddy so faithfully involved for all these years and then he graduates and he backslides mad hard? Why'd you do it, bro? Why? Tell me what. It's frustrating. It's heartbreaking. What happened? What happened? It's because Christianity's gotten institutionalized. We're not making salty Christians. We just have nice programs and nice schedules. But when people are taken out of that context, they lose their entire faith. Now, let me ask you something right now. Let me, if, you're, if you're a New Philly church member right now, let me ask you this. Are you going to do that? 
let's say, let's say, let's say New Philly just for some whatever reason we just we just uh, think of another example. What if? What if? You know, you feel like you know you you want to be here in Korea longer. You've been here for two three years, and all of a sudden, God calls you to move to Canada. Oh, you know, out out north in Canada, God calls you to go to Canada. And you go to Canada, and there ain't no spirit-filled, strong churches there. What are you going to do? Are you going to go there and stop praying? Are you going to go there and stop reading the Word? Are you going to go over there and start shooting me emails? Oh, Pastor Christian, I'm going to a church. I found a church, but I'm not getting fed. You're not getting fed. Interesting. Number one, do you have internet up in Canada? Do they? Do they really? (laughs) So if they have internet in Canada, that means you have access. First of all, you have access to our podcast. What do you mean you ain't getting fed? Get up out your bed, open up your laptop, download the sermon and listen to it. What do you mean you ain't getting fed? You got you got access to Amazon.com? Well, order some books that are on sale. Order some books about God. What do you mean you ain't getting fed? You got a copy of the Bible? Pick up that Bible and feed yourself, you little childish son. (laughs) Childish, childish son. Childish son. What's wrong with you? Talking about you ain't getting fed. That's foolishness. Better stop acting like a little baby and start feeding yourself. If you have matured and grown in this house, no matter where God takes you, you can be a faithful Christian wherever you are. And this message is for all those listening by podcast too. All those watching by video. That's right. All them Emmaus students, you got set on fire for God. You got, you got into your Bible. You were, you, you know, you were living for the Lord. And now you can't feed yourself. Please cut me that excuse, all right? You know, why, why do people have this kind of mentality? It's because Christianity has become too institutionalized. We're too dependent on programs, prayer meetings. You know, that's why so many people, they walk away from God when something happens at their ministry or church. Sexual scandal, embezzlement, church split. Let me give you some news here. If you're a salty Christian... If you're a Christian with some substance, you got a real faith that you've nurtured, it don't matter if the pastor gets up and he says, you know what? I have a confession to make. I am a crack addict. I like to beat my wife. I'm embezzling money from the church and I'm a kleptomaniac. It don't matter if the pastor says whatever. That does not mean that you're going to walk away from Jesus. You might move on to another church. But why would you leave Jesus? But so many people do that. Because they're not nurturing their own faith. They're letting the, 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 the faith life of the church replace their personal faith. That's, that's just saltless Christianity right there. Now, if you're a new believer in here, or if you're new to the spirit-filled, normal, 
supernatural Christianity that I talked about last week. If you're new to all this, let me give you some advice. In terms of being a salty Christian, if you, if you feel right now you're struggling, you're new to this. Everything's new to you. I say turn to the Bible. You're like, what, turn to where? You're still looking at the table of contents. That's fine. All right? There's people in here who have been Christians 10 years. They're still looking at the table of contents. That's okay. The table of contents is there for a purpose. Uh, if you're new to all this and you want to mature and you want to become a salty Christian, let me give you the best advice I can give you right now. Sometimes you got to fake it to make it. Everybody say fake it to make it. What I mean by this is you have got to participate. You have got to get in even if it feels unnatural to you. You see, some things, there are a lot of things that feel unnatural to us, but we keep doing it. For example, what the? (laughs) What's going on there? I have a suspicion that that was not holy laughter. Uh, It threw me off. Uh, Sometimes you do things that are unnatural. You keep doing it even when it feels unnatural. For example, when I got first married, when I first got married, I have to to shift from calling Aaron baby to honey. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but for me, it was. And I kept calling her babe, honey. And it felt very unnatural. I was like, I have a wife now. In fact, just living with her was very unnatural. I was like, why are you still here? Man, it feels so unnatural to live with uh, someone of the opposite sex. You know, it felt very unnatural. But I kept doing it. I love you, honey. Have a great day, honey. Right? And... Eventually, honey became very natural. Uh, or what, a month ago, I, I came to my first Greek intensive class. And the teacher sat, uh, actually, the teacher taught everybody the Greek alphabet. And then, like, ten minutes after she taught us the alphabet, she told us to read the entire uh, first two chapters of John. I'm like, woman, we just learned the alphabet. Can you say, tell, like, teach us a song or something to help us memorize this? What do you mean read first John? And she's telling everybody to read it. And then she sat right next to me. And she's like, read. And I'm like, Anthropoloso. Anthropos. Anthropos. Locoin. You know, in Greek, the V's are an N. You know, there's all these like letters that look English, but they're not. There's deception going on there, right? And so after like, I'm trying to read. It was so unnatural. I was like, I'm never going to learn Greek. Right? But I kept doing it. And now I can stutter through it. You know? Or let's bring up a spiritual subject. Speaking in tongues. There are a lot of people in Western Christianity that will never give it a try. Because number one, they're under the deception, under the myth that they think that speaking in tongue always comes compulsively. Now, some people do get it compulsively. For example, when Peter went down to Cornelius' house and he was preaching the gospel to them, in the middle of his message, Cornelius and his whole house started speaking in tongues. 
That was compulsive. If it was intentional, that would be very rude. <laughs> but Peter was like, man, this is, they're getting the Holy Spirit just like we did. And these are Gentiles. These are non-Jews. And he didn't have a paradigm for that. He, did, he thought gospel was only supposed to go to Jews at that point. Right? So a lot of people believe that tongues comes compulsively and only compulsively. And so when we pray and we have activation prayer or something like that, you know, they wait. And I'm like, hey, bro, uh, just try it. And they're like, what do you mean try it? And it's supposed to come out of me. I'm like, all right. Well, you know, some people do get it like that. But let me tell you my story. My story is one day at Columbia campus, we had an outreach for students. It was uh, one of those um, Veritas forums activities. We had a guest speaker come in. And then there was a guest musician, uh, guest, it was like a trio, a sister trio. And they sang these country songs, and Columbia students were like, why do we invite country musicians? But anyway, they sang songs about Jesus and country music. And, and afterwards, the speaker spoke, and then he had these testimonies about speaking in tongues. And so I asked a question, because at that time, I had never spoken in tongues before. So I asked a question, and I was like, are all the gifts of tongue a real language? Because he was giving all these testimonies of how he would just be praying in the hotel lobby. And then some man would come up and say, excuse me, sir. You don't look Arabic, but you are speaking my language. And then the pastor's like, I am? <laughs> right? And so I'm like, is it always a real language? You know? And the, and the pastor's like, well, you know, well, well, l- let's talk afterwards. Right? And then the, one of the musician girls, she comes up to me afterwards and she's like, do you want to receive, you want to receive the gift of tongues? And I was like, um... I don't know. <laughs> what does that involve? And she was like, well, I noticed you asked a question about tongues. I just want to ask you. She's real direct. Do you want to receive the gift of tongues? Because if you do, I can pray for you right now. You know, do you remember how you prayed and received Jesus like a sinner's prayer? I could just lead you to a prayer like that. And then boom, you will get tongues. And I was like. Uh, well, I am a campus minister here at Columbia, <laughs> and 50 of my students are over there waiting for me. So can we do this like another time? She's like, no, we got to do it right now. I will pray for you right now. And so I was like, man, all right, woman, I ain't scared of this. Let's do it. And so she's like, close your eyes. I'm like, okay. And then. She, she prays this short prayer, and I repeat after her, you know, I, I want to be filled with the Spirit, and, and I want to be activated in, in your spiritual gifts, especially gifts of tongues, something like that, right? I say amen. And then she goes, all right, now pray. I'm like, what? Uh, Lord, I just, no, not in English, but in the prayer language right now. You just got activated. In. I'm like, what prayer language? She's like, just pray, but not in English. So I was like, maybe I can pray in Korean. She won't know. I felt, I felt so pressured and cornered, right? Man, I felt so pressured and cornered. Anyway, she, she just like, she, so she was like, just pray. And so I was like, uh, da, 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 da. She's like, good. 
And she's like, there you go. You got it. You got it, right? I'm like, man, I'm just making stuff up, girl. She's like, it's like a faucet. It's just dripping right now. Let it flow. Let it flow. I'm like, Yamaha, Yamaha, Yamaha. La, 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 la. I'll give you what you want. La, 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 la. Well, I just kind of went for it. Hey, that's my story. It's a true story. True story. And, and I'll tell you right now, man, it was, a, it was the most uncomfortable, most unnatural thing I've ever experienced. And I, 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 she had me going for like two minutes, and then she's like, all right, you got it. You're good. Now go and exercise the gift. Don't bury it. Go, go exercise it. I'm like, okay, all right. Thank you. Thank, thank you. And so, I tell you right now, man, I did not ever want to speak in tongues again. It felt so unnatural. But when I was driving home, I was like, do I have it? Lama chikyaralapuka. Ooh, that sounds good. I'm just like trying it out, right? And I was alone. I put on some praise and some better praise music came on. It just started flowing even more. And I was like, I started feeling like, like tingly all over. And I was like, man, what's going on? Well, I don't care because no one's here. It's this tongues, Lord. And yeah, I, I, man, I tell you right now, I did that privately for like a year and a half. Year and a half. Didn't tell nobody. But what happened was, that startling experience got me into all these books about tongues and about the Pentecostal movement and stuff like that. I always was interested. But after that experience, I was like, man, I got to deal with this. You know? And so I'll tell you right now, man, I was just faking it. I mean, it felt like faking it. But the real truth was, it wasn't just fake, it was faith. There's a difference. We're all concerned that we think if we do fake things or things that feel unnatural or fake to us, that God's going to despise us. We don't have all the things correct. And therefore, God's like, you, you faking it down there. You don't have tongues yet. You know, and we, we're all concerned that God's going to despise us. But let me tell you something right now. Weak love is not fake love. And even when you do things that feel fake or unnatural, if you do it in faith, God never despises you. Let's say you, don't, you didn't even get the gift of tongues. Let's say she didn't have the activation gift, and I actually didn't get nothing that day. And, but I was in my car practicing. I bet you God was smiling down on me. He's like, isn't that cute? Christian doesn't even have the gift yet, <laughs> but he's trying it out. I'll tell you right, God doesn't despise that. So if you're a new believer, man, this is the best advice you can take. Just give yourself to it. Fake it till you make it. Don't be passive. Be a full participant. Christianity is not about observation and study alone. You read the book of Acts. It involves full participation. That's what water baptism symbolizes. Christianity is all about full-on participation, full-on immersion. Christianity is not about just waiting and observing and hoping that something will happen to you. Christianity is about stepping out of your chair and coming up and getting prayer at the altar. It's about lifting your hands in worship. 
even when it feels like you don't feel anything in your heart. It's about talking to a stranger about Jesus on the street, even if it feels awkward and unnatural. It's about stepping out and prophesying, even though this is not new to, this is very new to you. Or stepping out and preaching your first sermon and preaching in front of thousands your first sermon. For example, Peter. That's what Christianity is all about. It's about full-on participation. So my word for, for new believers or people that are new to spirit-filled, supernatural Christianity, my word to you is simply don't be afraid. Put your foot into the Jordan. Let down your nets. Get out of the boat and try walking on the water. That's what Christianity is all about. Faith is never fake before God. All right? And so that's, that's my advice to all of y'all who, who, are, who, are, who are new to this stuff. Now, uh, my first question was distinction, right? Are you distinct? Are you salty? Now, the second aspect of salt was distinct but fully involved. All right? The so second aspect I'm talking about here is are you getting out of the salt shaker? You might be distinct, but are you fully involved? Are you having a preservative effect on the world around you? Are you having a flavoring effect on the gospel when you, when you share it with a non-believer? question is not just are you salty, but are you getting out of the salt shaker? You see, a lot of Christians, the participation phase is as far as they get. They think if I participate in the corporate life of the ministry if I, or the corporate life of the church, then I must be mature. I go out to prayer meetings, so I must be mature. I go out every Sunday service, I must be mature. I know how to lift my hands, I must be mature. I came up for an altar call and started speaking in tongues, I must be mature. And the participation phase is as far as they get, and they may look mature, but the truth is... They may have only matured within the structure of the church. True maturity is exposed in how much you influence you have outside the church. When you're placed outside the church setting, how much influence do you steward? Are you being salty? In other words, are you being salty Outside of the salt shaker. When you're in that short salt shaker, everything looks good. Everybody looks like salt. Yeah! We salty! We are salt! Look at us! And you're shaking that salt shaker. You're like, yeah, look at our church. Look at our ministry. We're on fire for Jesus. And God takes you and sprinkles you out into your workplace, into your international school, into your campus. Into your hagwan. And you getting beat up. You making compromises. You're avoiding any relationships, any friendships in that workplace. Because you don't want to be contaminated by these sinners. Right? You have a... 
you, you, you talk to them about a very important subject. And the moment you try to give your input, they just shut you down. They don't want to listen to what you have to say because you have zero influence. Are you salty outside of the salt shaker? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Not you are the salt of the church. You come to church so that you can mature. So you can get the full potency of your saltiness. You don't come to church so that the activities of the church replace your individual Christian life. The church simply inspires you. You come out to Friday fire, you come out to Sunday swim prayer meetings. But if that's the only place you pray, once again, there's something fundamentally wrong. You got to come to church, not to worship, but you come to church worshiping. You don't come to church to pray, you got to come praying. We don't want to just direct sinners just to evangelism services. We want to produce evangelizing Christians in here. I mean, we could do evangelism services 30 times a year. Won't reach as many people if I can just activate 30 of y'all to be evangelizing Christians. Let's face it, we love being salty in the church. But if we've truly matured, we got to be salty outside the church. We got to learn how to confront demonic strongholds wherever they are found. We got to bring healing. We got to bring wisdom. Remember, saltiness is supposed to be a measure of wisdom. You know, you go to your hagwon and your hagwon director says, emergency meeting, everybody gather. We have this and this crisis. We have this crazy uh, mama over here. Uh, and she wants to bring slander and bring down our hug one. And she's slandering it. Anybody have any solutions? And you're just like, oh, maybe I need to move jobs. <laughs> and you're just like, man, you see that? Boss, you're getting what you had coming. You're such a corrupt director. Look at you. Yeah. And I'm going to leave right before it all happens, too. It won't touch me. I got the favor of God on me. <laughs> Sent through that meeting. Got, you got that kind of attitude? Man, it, what is wrong with you? You're supposed to be salty. You're supposed to be able to bring wisdom into that situation. You're supposed to preserve your hagwon. Bring the light of Christ into that place. You know... <clears throat> Uh, one reason why we have lost our saltiness, especially outside the salt shaker, is the way Christians do evangelism today. Let me, let me talk about this right now. When we evangelize, it's very unnatural. Instead of having a flavoring effect, we end up being pebbles in the juicy steak of the gospel. People take one bite and they want to spit it out. There's nothing wrong with the product. But it's the person delivering it. I mean, I mean, think about it like this. If your uh, pizza delivery boy came, right? Nothing wrong with the product, right? But the pizza delivery boy came and the pizza delivery boy is all cut up and bleeding. And he's got dirt all over his hands. And he's handling all the money. And it, you, you probably won't want to take that pizza from him. You'd be like, uh, um, I, I think you brought the wrong one. 
You didn't even look at the pizza. I'm I'm pretty sure. Send this back. Right? A lot of times when we when we deliver the the gospel to unbelievers, we've moved so much towards salt shaker Christianity that we've replaced evangelizing Christians with evangelism scripts. So think about how unnatural that is for your non-believing friends. Now, I'm all for memorizing scripts to help you get started. But what you use to begin with should not be what you end up settling with. You know, and and so, you know, in Campus Crusade, principle-wise, the four spiritual laws, which is a booklet that college students use to share the gospel on their campus, it's a wonderful tool. And you read through it, and in the beginning, to students who've never evangelized, we train the students. We say, be robotic, just get through it, read through it. Actually, we don't say be robotic, but we just say, read through it no matter what. Don't let them distract you. You know, even if they say, I'm Hindu, you know, I'm Satanist. You say, oh, it's okay, I'm going to keep reading the booklet, all right? And you just keep going through the booklet. And we train the students to do that. But principle-wise... I don't think Bill Bright wanted a whole bunch of college students that have memorized a booklet or know, uh, have been trained in how to read a booklet. He wants students who are trained in evangelism. But because of this salt shaker Christianity that has pervaded, especially Western societies, they've taken this four spiritual laws and it's become this robotic script that Christians use to share the gospel. Just sympathize for a moment with your unbelieving friend. Your unbelieving friend has different heart issues. And if you would just help deal with some of those heart issues, they'll open up their heart to the gospel. Or that unbelieving friend has certain uh, logic or rationale issues. And if you would just bring some apologetics, that will actually help open up the gospel. Or that person, they just, they're an experiential person. And all they really need is just come to church and just see other people worshiping and then they will just be convinced, God must be really among you. I want a piece of this. But when we go and we we evangelize, we just want to get through a script. And so the the person is like, well, uh, can we talk about this or I have this question? And you're just like, no. Let me finish my script. (laughs) And, you know, Jesus... Jesus doesn't want us depending on a script for evangelism. He wants us depending on the spirit for evangelism. I mean, when you mature, you got to learn how to move on from that script and learn how to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's why, man, a lot of times I feel like Pastor Aaron has an edge on me. Like Pastor Aaron or Marcus, you know, Marcus just got saved a few years ago. Pastor Marcus, Pastor Aaron... She just came back to the Lord, like maybe four or five years ago, five years ago, right? I just feel like sometimes they have the edge. Because when I go out on 1038, like this Friday night, we're going to have an opportunity to go out, right? Everybody in here, get out that salt shaker. There's an opportunity on Friday if you want to go out evangelizing, all right? Even if you just want to come and watch another leader do it, you can come and watch. All right? Because if all you're being is salty within that salt shaker, you're... You're not really being salt. And so I feel like sometimes, man, when I go out evangelizing, I, I turn into a robot. And so I have Campus Crusade training. I've looked through like InterVarsity Navigators training. Uh, and I have what is called the Way of the Master. Anybody know about the Way of the Master? Ray Comfort? Kirk Cameron? 
All right. I actually did a training thing for that like a few years ago. So I have that memorized. I can get through it. I've actually led people to Christ using all of them, using the four spiritual laws and using uh, the way of the master, using the Ten Commandments to, to bring people to Christ. I've actually led people to Christ. But because I haven't matured into an evangelizing Christian, a lot of times it's about just depending on one of these scripts instead of really engaging a person. And so when I see Aaron or Marcus, they go into the bar. I'll tell you right now, man. Let me tell you, like a few months ago, last year, when we first went to the bars. By the way, our church, we send our leaders to the bars to evangelize. And that should be no revelation to you because that's where the sinners are. If you go to church to evangelize, there's something wrong with you. You're not being strategic. Uh, and so we send them out to the bars. And man, I'll tell you, the first time I went to the bar, I realized I'd never been to a bar all my life. <laughs> Except King Bar. <laughs> and that was four to two hours I had to preach. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so King Bar is where we had our ET1 church plant a couple of years ago. Uh, and so I've never been in a bar. So I'm like, yeah, what do I do? <laughs> and I'm like waiting for the hostess to seat me or something like that. And and Marcus like, come on, come on. Pops, just come sit. So I'm like, yeah, 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 I know. And then, and then we're like, well, let's get a drink. All right, all right, how do I, how do I order a drink? I've seen it in the movies. So I go up to the bar, tender, and I'm like, well, I don't really, I, I don't mind, like I said, I don't mind you guys drinking, right? But I don't really like alcohol, so I don't want to spend money on alcohol, right? I don't want to drink something I don't like, so I'm just like, you know, yeah, can I get a Sprite? <laughs> Lady's like, eh? Uh, Saida. Saida. <laughs> yeah? Saida. <laughs> and some dude is next to me, you know, drinking his gin or whatever, and he's just like, uh, I think, it's a white guy, I think he said cider. Saida. <laughs> Whatever, like, yeah, and then the Korean ladies are, oh, Saida. I got mad embarrassed. I'm like, man, if nobody knew it was a cider, maybe they think it's like an alcohol drink, but now everybody knows it's a cider. I've become the most uncool person in the whole bar. And then, and then I was trying to be real cool, and I was like, man. So, so, bro, you come here often? And the, guy, and the guy's like, no, I'm just visiting town. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I was like, I was mad nervous. I, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, Lord, take me back to the salt shaker. You know, you know, I admit, man, when I'm preparing this message, man, I got real convicted because Pastor Benjamin, in his message, he asked, how many non-believing friends do you have in your life? And I was like, oh, snap. I don't have any right now. Like, Facebook friends, do they count? Man, I don't really have any. And he's like, well, that's how salty you are. I was like, oh, snap. Now, I, try, I have tried to make friends, non-Christian friends in Seoul. 
But man, it was like so much trouble. I have to go out and meet them and like talk to them. And, you know, and like hold back what I'm most passionate about. You know, it's so like so awkward sometimes, you know. But you got to fake it till you make it right. And so, man, I got real convicted because, man, I realized, you know, we all have been kind of sliding toward this institutional Christianity, like this salt shaker Christianity. And we, we've got to kind of get real. Are you really being the church? Are you really having that salt quality upon the world? Because if all you're good for is being a blessing inside of these four walls, where is the kingdom going to advance to? One person said it like this, right? Kingdom of God is not a cruise ship on its way to heaven. It's a battleship stationed at the gates of hell. Now, I don't know if theologically I agree with all that. But anyway, <laughs> good, vivid picture. While we have breath on this earth, we got to realize we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are not to take this light and hide it under a bowl. But Jesus said, put it on a stand. And by the way, when you put a light on a stand, you now have a lamp stand. You know what the lamp stand symbolizes in the Bible? It's the local church. Right? And so it's important. The lamp stand is a salt shaker. It's important to be part of the community. But once you've matured here, the real test is, all right, have you really matured? Let's see how you do out there. And the truth of the matter is, I want all the stories of people <clears throat> all going to the same Hagwon. Everybody saying, oh, that's a new Philly Hagwon now. Oh, that's a new Philly international school now because we got five teachers up at that international school. We got 10 student, uh, ten teachers over at that Hagwon. We've taken over. And then six months later, everybody's leaving that Hagwon because they found out the boss was corrupt or the boss was doing something shady. So everybody says, you know what? Peace out. I don't want none of that. I'm going to go look for the perfect Hagwon. Ha, ha, ha. I want those stories to stop. If God's calling you to stay, even if it's uncomfortable, be the salt. If you're at a real difficult, difficult business marketplace arena, and day in and day out, your coworkers degrade you, your boss, you know, degrades you. All right, if the girls, you can sexual harass, get out of there quick. Or come talk to me. I'll have a talk with your boss. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> talk to me, all right? Talk to me. Don't, don't keep going to those environments. But, but you know, if, if you're getting all, like, dogged out, persecuted, you know, for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. Transform your company. Get a vision to transform Asiana Airlines. Get a vision to take dominion over Deloitte. Don't just go chasing after the largest paycheck. Chase the call of God. How about those Christians in the entertainment arena? Oh, entertainment's just so filled with plastic surgery and sexual manipulation. It is, by the way, especially here in Korea. But if you really mature, you should be able to handle it. Get up in there and let, let Jesus 
take dominion through you and transform that entertainment culture. So many, so many young people are dying. They're committing suicide. You know, yesterday I read an article that said, young man committed suicide. Suicide, no, you know what it said? I'm tired of going, uh, dealing with the pressure of going from hagwon to hagwon every single night. So he killed himself. You know, there's something fundamentally really jacked up about the Korean education system. Instead of students learning at school, they learn at the hagwon. And it's killing the children. Be the solution. Be the salt. Start getting a vision for it. Get a five-year, ten-year vision for it. Start thinking, I could change this. Because Jesus is inside me. Because he said, I'm the salt of the earth. You hear what I'm saying? All right. Let's, let's close in prayer. Come on.